Hey everyone, welcome to the I Know Lonely podcast from Only 7 Seconds. I am your host, Luke Wall. It is Global Loneliness Awareness Week, and so we're bringing you a special bonus episode. Only 7 Seconds is participating in this because we believe creating a less lonely world begins with each and every person making intentional, meaningful connections. We encourage this by sharing stories and resources to help destigmatize loneliness and inspire you to get more connected. So in honor of Loneliness Awareness Week, our guest today is one of the early pioneers in the loneliness space, Dr. Julianne Holt-Lundstedt. She is an expert in social connection and health and most well-known for her groundbreaking research on the effects of loneliness. She is a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University and a board member for the Foundation for Social Connection and the Global Initiative on Loneliness and Connection. She also is the lead researcher for the most recent U.S. Surgeon General Advisory about the epidemic of loneliness and isolation and the healing effects of social connection and community. I am so excited for today's conversation. So without further ado, let's get started. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Holt Lundstedt, I am so excited to have you here. I I said it a couple of minutes ago, right before we started recording, but it truly is like meeting a celebrity for me. Um, I, I when I started working in this space, there were two people I said that I had to meet, and uh, one was you, and one was the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. And uh, I have yet to do that one, but this one feels like uh, a really good step in that direction. So uh, I am so excited to have you here. Would you mind just introducing yourself to? To the audience. Sure. First off, I'm, I'm incredibly flattered. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, my training and background is in um, psychology, both social psychology and health psychology, um, with an emphasis in neuroscience. So I have a, a joint appointment in both the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience um, at my university. And and I'm, I'm uh, basically a, a I would say I'm an academic researcher, but at the same time, I am one of these oddballs that um, <laughs> I, I kind of straddle multiple worlds in the sense of I try to make sure that the evidence is um, and, and science is communicated out to where it can be um, useful and um, try to in, engage uh outside of academia to translate this into practice and policy and um, uh, really uh, do the kinds of things that can have a real world impact. Hmm. Um, I don't know if there's other aspects of of my background you want to ask more about, but yeah, (laughs) no, I think that's such a remarkable approach because, um, I, I know plenty of people that work in research and oftentimes the research just stays at the research phase, I guess, if you will. And uh, it's really great information, but if you don't do anything with it, then is it really making the impact? And I just, I applaud you for that. Would you mind sharing a little bit of, I guess, let's let's give the audience an understanding because not everyone um, may know who you are, why we're having you on the podcast, but tell me lo- a little bit about your research around loneliness. How did you come into that as part of your research and maybe just some background around the study that you have done? and are doing specifically around loneliness? Yeah. So um, really, my research focuses quite broadly on both the protective effects of being socially connected, um, and that includes um, protective effects on health and and mortality, 
um, as well as other kinds of um, outcomes such as mental health and and, and um, societal kinds of outcomes, um, as well as the risks associated with lacking social connection, including um, isolation, loneliness, but also poor quality relationships. And, and, you know, and conversely, some of the, the poorer kinds of outcomes that occur with this. I really started, uh, in a sense, doing research in, in graduate school on psychophysiology, <laughs> um, really looking at how psychological and social processes impact our biology. Um, we would do these, you know, very tightly controlled laboratory studies where we would put people in kind, different kinds of situations and see how their body reacts. Um, many of these were very stressful situations, <laughs> um, but, but look at how, um, in essence, how people's, um, social relationships impacted that. So if people had smaller networks or, um, poor quality relationships, um, or, um, lacking um, these relationships, um, they often had poorer kinds of physiological responses with better kinds of responses among people who had, um, you know, larger and, and better quality relationships. Um, and really how this kind of developed and, and kind of goes back to that same idea of like how I try to get the, uh, the, my academic work out into the world is, um, yeah, I was doing these these studies really um, with the premise of trying to understand how it is that these, you know, whether it's having more and being more socially connected, being protective, or you know, loneliness or having risk. In essence, how it ha has an impact on our body to explain how how it is that these health effects occurred, only to realize that basically. The rest of the world doesn't even acknowledge that these have effects on, the, on our health, right? Because the rest of the world, um, you know, and, and I, I know I'm making a massive generalization here, but generally speaking, when I would talk to people informally, whether it was, you know, social events or or whatnot, and they would ask what I do, it, it, it just didn't resonate with people. Yeah. It, it was clear that people um, associate this with emotional well-being. You know, maybe our, our, our happiness or how satisfied we are, um, uh, with life or our relationships, but, um, really was not even on people's radar as something that's important for their physical health. Mm -hmm. And so that's what really led to, um, the research that I'm probably most well known for is my meta-analyses that, uh, that linked the um, uh, both um, social connection to um, an increased odds of survival um, and um, isolation and loneliness as independent risk factors for premature mortality. And this was, you know, compiling global data, um, uh, you know, following people um, that had followed people over or over years, often decades. Um, to establish these findings. Um, and so that really, uh, I think, was um, kind of pivotal in terms of me trying to help the, the public understand the evidence around the risk associated with this, um, because, because it just wasn't something um, that was well recognized and to a, a large extent still unrecognized. Yeah. 
How, I'm curious since those early days of people not connecting with it or not really understanding it, have you seen a shift in like the public or in your circles of more people starting to understand it? Has there been a shift or is it still very um, unspoken and misunderstood? Um, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, it's interesting because one of the the comparisons, so when I did these meta-analyses to try and give people a sense of, of just how important it is, I benchmarked it relative to other risk factors that people take mm-hmm. seriously. This included things like smoking, alcohol consumption, physical inactivity, obesity, air pollution, um, other kinds of, of things. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, the one that keeps, that got picked up was the comparison um, with smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's interesting because that one gets repeated a lot, um, sometimes um, uh, misquoted. <laughs> yeah. um, and so in, in a way, you know, that I see that as something that has um, been, um, you know, even, even though it, it occasionally does get um, mis, misquoted or misattributed, um, it has been good for raising awareness in terms of just um, recognizing that this is something that's important for our health. Yeah. However, um, even in very large kinds of meetings um, uh, with various organizations that want to do something around isolation and loneliness, often it's focused on mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, um, interviews that I'll do will again, still focus on mental health. Yep. Um, and so, and then, um, it's, it's okay. So it's data that's not out yet, but, um, <laughs> my, my, um, grad student and I, um, just recently completed analysis on a, a large scale survey that we did, Initially with data from the US, UK and Australia, but now, but then we also got another large sample of just US based um, uh, sample. And we asked people to rate um, various factors and how important they are for their health. Mm. And still, um, we have objective data that people um, uh, underestimate just how important this is for their health, even after the pandemic, which, you know, raised a lot of awareness around this issue. But again, it still seems to be um, thought of as a mental health issue um, when um, it has profound effects on our physical health. And and as we're learning, um, also has impacts on other kinds of outcomes beyond health, including things like economic outcomes, um, Mm -hmm. uh, things like um, safety and and emergency preparedness and and other kinds of, 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 um, societal outcomes. Yeah. It's something that in my experience being working in this space for the last couple of years, I've noticed, uh, there has been a shift a little bit, especially as COVID hit where people are starting to understand the importance of, of this. And yet I think oftentimes take it for granted as well. Maybe that's part of it where it's just like you, 
I, I don't know. People just uh, like take it for granted that like they have relationships and don't really take the time to measure that in the same way that like we have decades and generations of everything from PE being enforced in school to like spending billions of dollars on our physical health and gym memberships that like has been ingrained in us in society as like prioritizing. And, and it, there's a lot of reasons for that. And then when it comes to social health, I think that people just either take it for granted or or there's the misunderstanding and it's just something that happens rather than something that we're intentional around. Yeah. And in fact, um, because of this evidence, I recently published a paper on, um, uh, in essence, outlining the evidence to support national health guidelines, just like we have mm you know, guidelines for being physically active and, and, um, uh, you know, uh, dietary guidelines, but, you know, just like it is important to be physically active. It's important to be socially active. Um, and, and so, um, uh, this, this paper outlines some of that evidence and, and what it might take to get those. (laughs) And, and, And that paper is published now or going to be published? It's, um, it's online first, so it is available. Um, okay. So it's not in print, but it's on, um, okay. the journal has released the online version. Um, Wonderful. We'll link that in the podcast notes, uh, for anyone who wants to yeah. go take a look at that. Cause that's amazing. Um, let's, uh, let's circle back to just really briefly. I, I, I want to just spend an extra minute just breaking down the misconception that loneliness connection, social health, and mental health are two separate things. And just in very clear terminology, like why that is and what that exactly means. Because I I run into that every single day um, saying we're an organization trying to help people address loneliness, help them have better social connections. And people go immediately go, oh, mental health, let's talk about suicide. And while there's overlap, I, I think it's important. And I'd love to hear from the expert, like the breakdown of how you explain them being two very separate things while they're related. Yeah. So our mental health is, um, you know, a particular outcome <laughs> that, that, you know, interestingly, the extent to which people are socially connected or, or, you know, lonely, for example, are, are, are very distinct. Um, and in fact, the evidence that we found on, on health is independent of, of say, for instance, depression. So a lot of people will say to me, isn't loneliness just depression? <laughs> um, and if we just treat the depression, you know, um, uh, is, isn't, you know, wh- why are we introducing something new? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what, um, what the evidence has shown is that say, for example, loneliness significantly increases our risk for premature mortality independent of someone's depression. Mm. Okay. So, um, that loneliness over and above any uh, effect that might also be there through depression uh, um, is an uh, independent predictor. So um, loneliness can be, um, can increase our risk for developing depression. So um, there's research that shows that, that loneliness can increase the uh, new diagnosis of, Mm. of depression. But we also know that one of the features of depression is social withdrawal. And so um, as people um, who are depressed um, may withdraw from others, become more isolated, uh, 
um, they're at increased risk for becoming lonely. Um, and so I think that this can be confusing because it, it's, it can be bi-directional, right? Because yep. both loneliness can predict depression, but depression can also predict loneliness. And this can be a, a reinforcing cycle. But they are different in the sense that, um, for example, loneliness is really having to do with our social needs. Um, and so uh, many neuroscientists um, have argued that loneliness is really a, a biological drive, like mm -hmm. hunger or thirst, that is um, actually an adaptive response. Um, just like hunger um, motivates us to seek out food, thirst motivates us to seek out water, that loneliness motivates us to seek out um, and reconnect socially. Mm. Um, and that's because all of these are important for our survival throughout yeah. human history. If, you know, we've needed to be part of a group to survive. Yeah. Um, and so um, it, it's, you know, a, a biological um adaptive response to increase our likelihood of survival. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so when our, our social needs are not met, um, you know, we, we have this signal. The problem yeah. becomes when these needs are um, left unmet for, you know, a long time, you get stuck mm -hmm. in that. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, it is important to recognize that, you know, also distinguishing between loneliness and depression, but also distinguishing between loneliness and isolation mm -hmm. um, is that uh, isolation is objectively, you know, being alone, having few relationships or infrequent social contact, whereas loneliness is more that subjective feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in the hunger example, you know, hunger is the distressing feeling of lacking food, <laughs> Um, and loneliness is that distressing feeling of, of, of lacking connection and isolation is, is objectively lacking that. Right. Yeah. And, and so we need to care about not only that signal, but objectively meeting that social need. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so while, um, that, that, um, symptom is incredibly important because it tells us something's wrong and we need to act on that. Um, we should never dismiss the importance of isolation. I hear that over and over and over again, people saying, oh, but if I'm, you know, if I choose to be isolated, <laughs> that somehow that doesn't carry risk. Um, yeah. And sure, it's it's okay to be isolated from time to time or, or you know, spend, I should say, um, spend moments alone from time to time. Just like loneliness, it's when it becomes chronic, when, it, yeah. when that's prolonged, um, that that can be associated with, lots of poorer kinds of outcomes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the topic of kind of breaking down misconceptions, I'm curious because it is, when you're talking about loneliness, it is subjective and everyone seems to have a different or varying needs, I guess, when it comes to this, right? I'm curious how you go about measuring that. And maybe that's a really like in the weeds tactical question, but I'm just curious how you go about measuring that when they're like introverts versus extroverts, right? Or however you want to define that, where like some people seem to need more relationship than others. So how do you go about measuring that? And then even for like your own self, how do you figure out like what your own needs even are? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so first off, I'll break down one misconception, and that is that, you know, while introverts and extroverts might have different preferences, it's not that introverts don't need, uh, don't have social needs. They do. Yes. <laughs> um, um, their preferences on how to meet those needs might differ, but, um, but those needs still exist. Um, so how do, how do we measure that? Um, so with loneliness being this subjective experience, um, there are, um, there of course are several well-validated measures out there. The most common of them is the UCLA loneliness scale. And, um, it, and one of the most common versions of it, because of course there's a long version and then there's a short version. <laughs> um, and the short version is the most um, commonly used because of course it's more, most feasible. <laughs> yeah. um, but it really asks about it um, more indirectly. Hmm. Um, so things about like, for instance, um, lacking companionship or feeling left out. Um, whereas um, uh, you can also just simply ask someone, um, you know, straight up um, <laughs> um, <laughs> if they feel lonely or how lonely they feel. And there are single item uh, questions like that that directly ask people. Um, interestingly, it used to be that these were not favored, the the more direct measures. And that was because there was a lot of stigma around loneliness um, and people not wanting to really admit that they were lonely. Um, and so um, a worry that if you ask it directly, that you may be missing people who really do feel lonely, but just um, aren't aren't going to admit it. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the UCLA loneliness scale, which is more indirect, can get get at that. But interestingly, there's been a few studies um, that were conducted uh, during the pandemic that have shown that some of these single item questions actually have a high degree. In fact, in one case, I think it was a 97% overlap with the UCLA loneliness scale. Wow. And so, I mean, what that suggests is first off, you know, that that might be a really reasonable and feasible way to, to um, ask people. But secondly, might suggest that some of the greater awareness and just the common experience that um, many of us all felt during the pandemic may have broken down some of those yeah. barriers and, and the stigma around that. You know, I'm sure we have a lot more, more way to go with that. Um, <laughs> but, but at least that's, you know, a positive sign. Um, and, and, the, and then, of course, you know, we need to keep checking to see if, if um, now that we're kind of out of a lot of the severe restrictions associated with the pandemic, you know, whether some of those trends might change. But it, it does suggest a, a possible um, positive uh, note there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fascinating. I'd love to shift the conversation a little bit into you talked early on about uh, while you do research, you also care about the like awareness and implementation and actually using some of this. And I would just be curious to hear some of your thoughts on if someone is experiencing loneliness, right? Like they, they take the UCLA loneliness scale themselves and actually do it themselves or whether they simply just know, Hey, I'm feeling lonely. What are the things that you have seen or that you advise around just some, some of the solutions around individuals, um, addressing their own loneliness or lack of social connection? 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there has been research that has looked at kind of self-guided or self-initiated kinds of strategies, things like mindfulness-based meditation, also things like gratitude practices, engaging in creative arts, spending time in nature. So those are things that people can do, you know, on their own to help alleviate some of, of the distressing feelings associated with this there's some evidence around, you know, involving professional help, like getting cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, that's particularly helpful for people who may be stuck in loneliness. So they, you know, re- loneliness can often be really reinforcing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if someone's feeling um, like they're, they've been in, in that for um, some time and are having trouble getting out of that, it may be time to, to get some help. And, and so cognitive behavioral therapy um, may be one, one um, approach. Um, but there are also just simple tactics that basically um, anyone can do to help um, stave off loneliness. Um, and, and so those, you know, it involved, you know, getting involved socially and, um, of course, spending time with, um, uh, not only friends and family and those that you're close to, but getting out in your community, going for walks. Um, interestingly, there are studies that show that just people who walk in their neighborhood, report less loneliness because, you know, you're waving to the neighbor or to the man or you're feeling a part of something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Saying hello to the, you know, the the checker or the barista or whoever. (laughs) Um, Those kinds of, you know, even small interactions can, Mm -hmm. can help, but also just the, the, the kinds of maintaining our, our relationships with, those that we feel most closest to really prioritizing those relationships. It's often so easy to get caught up in work yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, I don't have time. Right. Or, or you might see, um, you know, what people are doing on social media and feel like, oh, okay, I, I kind of know what's going on with their life. And, and you maybe don't take the time to, to reach out to them. But, uh, the, the more that you can uh, nurture and maintain those relationships and strengthen those bonds, um, you know, that can help you weather um, yep. a lot of storms um, that can prevent you from getting um, into a place of loneliness. Um, or if you start to find yourself sliding, you know, into that to, to, to do something about it early on before it starts to get more severe. Um, yeah, there's an, a really interesting study we did, um, during the pandemic where we asked people to just do small acts of kindness for their neighbors, uh, mm. during the pandemic. And, and these were really small things like, you know, just like saying, saying hello and seeing how they're doing. Um, you know, maybe offering to take in their, their trash bins or, mm. um, you know, helping out with, with something. Um, and what we found was that people who did small acts of kindness for others reported less loneliness. Yeah. And, you know, I think that this is really interesting because we weren't asking the people on the receiving end, you know, yeah. presumably they benefited from the acts of kindness, but the act of doing something for someone else was associated with with lower loneliness Hmm. and so sometimes the best way to help yourself is to help others man 
I love that. I have so many thoughts here. I uh, The first one that comes to mind was uh, I was listening to Dr. Vivek Murthy on another podcast and he was asked, okay, so how do we help fix loneliness? How do we help in this? And uh, the first thing he said, and you'd think that they'd be these really big grand things. And he goes, all you need to do today is just smile at a stranger. And right. And like the, everyone's just kind of silent because he was talking about even the act of you being the one to smile at a stranger, it changes how you interact with the world, your perception of the world. And then the people receiving simply a smile changes how their brain works. And I'm not a scientist. I don't understand how all that works, but I know that it's true. Right. And like to your point, sometimes those really simple little acts can, and to our message of only seven seconds, like, we say it takes seven seconds to send a message to tell someone that they matter, right? Like simple acts of encouragement, simple acts of engaging and call it volunteerism or whatever you want. It has an impact on your own experience with loneliness or social connection. And I, yeah, I, I think that that's just so relevant. The other thing that came to mind as you were talking was, um, the depth of relationships, right? So like on one hand, you have these small interactions, little things for neighbors, walking around the community with people that you might not be super close with. But then um, I recently talked to a group of students and I used the uh, idea of, while it's great to have a hundred pennies of relationships, right? I'd rather have two quarters, right? And like the idea that the depth of those relationships are the ones that help weather you through the storms of life and emphasizing that like investing in those key relationships that are going to be the foundation that when life gets difficult, when you're experiencing loneliness, like those are the people that are your rocks and really investing in those um, is so critical. So I think it's it's kind of interesting, like the spectrum of those two different uh, pieces and yet how important both of them can be for people. Oh, absolutely. And 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 that we need both. It's not right. a, a one or the other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on... Um, youth for a minute. Our, our, a lot of our work is really directed at youth and youth loneliness. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions around, uh, when you talk about loneliness, that you're talking about the aging population that live in nursing homes. And while that's absolutely true, um, that certain demographics like that do experience severe loneliness. Um, it's interesting that Gen Z and youth are experiencing loneliness at staggering rates. And so I would just be curious if you had any thoughts around youth loneliness specifically. I know that you have a couple of kids, your own, and I'd love to just hear your own thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because this for a long time has been thought of as an older adult issue. And um, first off, I should mention anyone at any age, any demographic can experience loneliness and, and no one's immune from this. Um, it's yeah. a human experience um, that we all experience to some degree or another. But but of course, some people are more likely to um, perhaps get stuck in those experiences um, and and suffer more severely from that. Um, and and certain times of of one's life seem to seem to be uh, associated with a little bit more risk. And and one of those is this period of adolescence and young adulthood. And part of that may be um, somewhat developmental in the sense that at this point in life, you are expecting your social circles to expand. 
Um, but there's a lot of change um, that's going on, um, learning to be independent from, from your parents and um, really navigating peer relationships and other kinds of relationships. And interestingly, um, there was uh, uh, some work done in the UK where they interviewed people, older adults, and asked them who and I should say older adults who scored high on loneliness and they interviewed them and asked them to describe a time when they felt the loneliest and they describe a time in their youth. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And, and so there is something kind of interesting about, about this um, uh, timeframe. And in fact, um, there was one study that showed that um, loneliness may peak at the age of 19 which is interestingly a time when often um, people leave their home of origin um, yeah. and are having to um, kind of navigate and, and establish their own um, and new social networks. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes these life transitions can, um, can potentially be triggers for loneliness. Hmm. Um, but interestingly, there's also some research to suggest that this generation of of adolescents and young adults may be um, different from previous generations. Hmm. So while there's a developmental um, uh, kind of trajectory, um, that that there may be also just something, you know, each generation faces different kinds of challenges. Hmm. Um, So how this generation fares compared to other generations Maybe something that you know we need to to better understand. Of course, some some have pointed to the role of of social media and technology as something that's um, something that um, may be unique to this generation that um, wasn't as as prevalent in, in previous or not non-existent in some yeah. of the previous generations. Um, uh, and and to what extent that is um, perhaps having um, you know playing some kind of unique role um, with this generation compared to others, um, uh, but you know of course we we could spend hours just talking <laughs> about that. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Was I, I oftentimes get asked uh, once I this is about the point of the conversation with a lot of people I talk to that they say, well, then is it just a technology problem? And obviously it's much broader than that. Um, but oftentimes it's a very easy thing for people to point out and say, well, the problem is technology. And I think that there's probably certainly elements of that that play into what we're seeing and experiencing. Um, I'd be curious when it comes to, um, parents or care providers, adults, teachers, anyone interacting with youth. We we talked a lot about what you can do for yourself if you're experiencing loneliness, but if you're, if you're noticing other people that are experiencing loneliness, especially youth that are either in your care in some way, shape or other, do you have any recommendations or thoughts around that of how to support youth that might be going through this? Yeah. I mean, that, that's something that I think is so hard um, because when we see someone we care about suffering, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, we can feel so helpless. Um, you know, I, I once heard someone say, uh, you know, a parent is only as happy as their least happy child. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, 
You know, I mean, it really is in, in some ways true in the sense of, you know, when we see someone we love suffering, um, you know, we want to take that pain away. Right. Yeah. Um, so first off, I would say, um, um, you know, ha- look, look for some of the signs that that might be concerning. So if your um, child or loved one is spending a lot of time alone um, and, and not engaging with friends or peers, um, you know, that can be a, a, a potential warning sign. Um, if they don't have a best friend, um, you know, not not that everyone has to have a, a best friend, but it can be, you know, having someone that they can confide in. Um, if, if they don't have that, that can be another potential warning sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, if you're noticing changes in how this is impacting various functioning, whether it's their performance in school or sleep or other kinds of aspects of their life. Um, you know, that that's um, another potential warning sign. So, you know, of course, there are the the small things like, you know, providing opportunities to um, help them engage or removing any kind of barriers, you know, identifying like what is getting in the way of them not being able to feel more connected um, or be more connected objectively. Um, so if you can identify, like, is, is there something that's going on that you can um, actually, you know, tangibly um, help with? Um, uh, there's that. But there may also be times when, um, you know, recognizing that that if it's, um, you know, if, if it's concerning enough, you may want to engage some kind of professional help. So, um, you know, a, a, a counselor or a therapist, um, but also involving other trusted adults in their life, um, whether that's a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, um, someone that they can feel comfortable with and confide in. So perhaps maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to the parent, but they might be able to open up to um, someone else that can can help them um, get the kinds of resources that they may need. So I, I That's awesome. you know, it, it, I wish I could just, you know, give a, a magic <laughs> <laughs> um, pill or, or something, yeah. that, you know, um, but, you know, recognizing that that each um, individual might have different challenges and different yeah. needs and really being sensitive because the more you can be responsive to their individual needs and their situation, the, the, the more effective it's going to be. And and what might, what might be helpful for one um, individual, someone in a completely different circumstance, um, it it just may not be responsive. So, so we do have to, to listen. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things of being in this space and trying to figure out how do you help address loneliness and social connection is that it is subjective um, and it, and everyone's everyone's needs are a little bit different and there isn't just a blanket, well, this is the answer and it just gets fixed. Um, it's not as easy as even uh, more or less not easy to provide a... Um, here's a pill, take a pill and it's going to help you feel better. Right. Like, um, not that that fixes all mental health problems or physical health problems either, but uh, at least that 
this is we're tackling something that just doesn't have that as a solution even so it makes it really hard to just broad stroke say here are the things to do but i think it's really important to continue to provide different options and even just the awareness of it so that you can have dialogue and conversation and even just being able to put words to some of the things that people are even feeling or experiencing that um like you said earlier there's a uh, stigma likely associated with loneliness for a lot of people still. There's a misunderstanding of what even those feelings might even be. And so the more that we can do this sort of stuff and even provide, hey, here's some things that might help, um, it's better than just sitting idly by and saying, well, there's no broad stroke solution, so we're just not going to try. So I appreciate you letting me put you on the spot and ask you some of those questions. Oh, I'll just add one more yeah. thing. I mean, one one other aspect of that is that, you know, oftentimes people who are lonely feel um, like an outsider, that yeah. they're not accepted. And so part of that is helping the individual recognize that that they're cared about um, and 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 accepted for who they are, um, mm-hmm. because uh, if 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 you don't feel like you can be honest and open without being judged, um that, that that can be, you know, very isolating, right? And yep. and so that openness and acceptance um, can help uh, open that dialogue to begin those kinds yep. of conversations to get to a place to understand where those needs are. Yep. So some of our audience is going to laugh at me right now that are listening because I say this on so many episodes, but we have some merchandise that says show up, be kind, love well. And the and I say it all the time because it's so relevant to so much of this conversation because at the end of the day, like oftentimes we can't just prescribe a perfect solution, but you can't underestimate like those three things of showing up, being kind to people and loving them well and allowing those spaces for them to just be seen, heard, and loved is so important to them feeling less lonely, for them feeling like they have some connection that's meaningful. Yeah, and and also the recognition that you're not alone. There are others who feel exactly. this way too. And sometimes you can feel like you're the only one that feels this way. And sometimes if, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel really uncomfortable and you're waiting for someone else to come talk to you, look around the room see who else might be alone and and yeah. go up and make that conversation <laughs> um, because, you know, putting yourself out there um, can, can really help make someone else's day and, and, help everyone in the process. (laughs) Yeah. If you, uh, if you have not felt lonely, you are in the extreme minority. I think, I think we've all experienced it. So if you're feeling alone, you are certainly not alone in that. Uh, Dr. Holt Lundstedt, it has been such a pleasure having you on here. I want to just give you the space. If there, you mentioned your study earlier that's published, we'll make sure that we link that in the notes. Um, but is, I want to just give you a minute to provide any sort of shameless plug. Is there anything that you would like to share with the audience about your work or anything else that you'd want to share? Yeah. Um, so a, a couple of uh, resources that people might be interested in is, um, so I'm both the scientific chair and a board member for the Foundation for Social Connection. Um, we have a website with many resources. I also have a personal website um, uh, with my own research on that. Um, I'll also note that I am one of the committee members on a National Academy of Science um, consensus report on social media youth and health. 
um, that is currently underway. You can um, look for that um, and information on that on their website. And you can also just follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Awesome. That's so great. We will make sure to link all of that in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much again for doing this. I said it at the beginning, but truly your work and research has inspired uh, so much. And uh, our organization is one of those that um, if it wasn't for the foundational stuff that you have done to prove out in the research side of things, it would make the work of actually uh, trying to problem solve and provide some solutions uh, just so much more difficult. And yeah, it's just inspiring to be able to uh, sit down with someone who really pioneered so much of this work and this conversation that wasn't being talked about uh, decades ago. Well, and thank you for amplifying the message because I mean, all of us who are working in the space need to to have this message um, spread more broadly. So thank you so much. And I so appreciate the work that you're doing. And I love only seven seconds because, you know, those little things can make such a big difference. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the I Know Lonely podcast. I hope you were inspired by Dr. Holt Lundstedt's and my conversation. Stay connected with us over the summer and follow along on all social media platforms at only seven seconds. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, one of the most helpful things you can do is provide a rating on whatever platform you are using. This helps the conversation reach more people. Also, please consider sharing this with one of your friends. Finally, if you want to continue to support the production of these podcasts and other resources, donate to our cause at only7seconds.com. Have a great day.